All right, so I'm just going to start announcements. Uh, we really just have one announcement today, and it is the donuts and coffee with college students. Woo! Yeah, so this is for non-college students and college students. It is February 9th. You can see it up there uh, at 10 a.m. So this is a great time to um, meet college students, or if you are a college student, meet non-college students who are in, who go to like the non-focused stuff. Uh, it's a really good chance to get connected with just more people in the church, um, to make more friends, and yeah, eat donuts and coffee, which is always a win for me. So yeah, do that. Excellent. All right, another announcement real quick is one of our uh, sort of all-church events. Um, the first one of the year besides winter camp is coming up. It is Spring Showcase. Uh, and Spring Showcase, what it does is it provides money for students going to Sikkim. And uh, I've actually never been, um, but I'm going to attempt to go this year for the first time. We'll see what happens. <laughs> We're going to be selling tickets today. This is a really great event with artwork and really, really great performers. Uh, I feel like a hypocrite making this announcement uh, because I've never been, so, uh, but I'm, here I am doing it. So who wants to give a little bit of detail on how people can buy tickets to showcase? Anybody? Drew? Can, can I get all the focus staff to stand up in case people don't know who you are? Get down, Tyrus. <laughs> Okay, so there's a couple of us. So we'll have tickets that we can sell, and we'll have swipers, so you can do credit card if you need to do that. And we'll also take cash. And then next week we'll do like more of an uh, announcement with a slide and all the details and stuff. But if you just want to get a jump on it, we will be selling those after church today. So just find and one of us. February 29th. 29th. And then there's like an early show, and then there's uh, art stuff in between, and then there's a later show. Yeah. So maybe 2.30 and 6.30. Two, is that 30, right? 5.30, yeah, 6.30. So. Great. Cool. So that's coming up. Uh, particularly if you're kind of new to our church and you haven't been around uh, much of the, uh, the focus ministry, um, you know, even though a lot of them are here, uh, if you haven't been to sort of like a, a focus event, it'd be really cool for you to show up. I promise the performers are really good. And you can see things in the past. Uh, so I've kind of been, because I've seen some of the things in the past, okay? So there you go. Uh, from, uh, you know, this isn't like a, like a local elementary school talent show. Although I have put a couple of those on, right? And they're super fun, almost as fun, to be honest, but for different reasons. And um, so come to this. This is going to be a great event. Okay, so those of you who are joining us after having been gone uh, over the break uh, or at winter camp last week, we are the sort of third week in in a sermon series, although the first two weeks we usually just kind of talk about our church and who we are. Uh, although we did get more into the sermon series the first two weeks, so feel free to listen to those. It's always accessible on our website uh, under the SoundCloud audios. Um, the first week we did uh, sadness and the idea of uh, what it means uh, to be sad and to be excited in a mature way. Last week we talked about fear and, um, and what it means to really deal with fear in a godly way. And today we're going to be talking about comfort, which is really not an emotion so much as uh, something that we want when we experience really difficult emotions. So, the sermon series is completely online, which means you can follow along. It's also on Facebook, uh, and uh, the goal is for you to have the scriptures, and this is pretty easy stuff, guys. We're in Isaiah 40. We're one chapter, okay? And uh, we're going to see if you did your assignment in a moment. Otherwise, I don't have to preach this morning, which would be great. Uh, so, Isaiah 40, and we're talking about emotions and the character of God, Okay? 
human emotions and the character of God. The point is we're trying to talk about how to understand our emotions, their proper use, why God gave them to us, and how to compare them uh, to God's character so as uh, to really understand um, you know, how to think about emotions in our daily life. Okay, cool. So coming out of Isaiah 40, if you have questions about that, uh, or things that you particularly want to see us talk about that's not already there, because the entire semester is there for you to peruse and to criticize and critique and all that good stuff. All righty, cool, cool. Okay, so uh, who has memorized Isaiah 41 to 2? Go ahead and stand up and recite it, because if it's not accurate, let me turn to it first, uh, because I want to make sure that uh, you know, I really put you on the spot. So actually, you know, we'll read it so that you can have a quick refresher, and then uh, we'll make you guys recite it. Or should we re- recite it first? Wow, you guys are, I love how everyone wants them to recite it first, even though you didn't memorize it yourself. It's totally like a, we want to see them fail. Uh, gosh, you guys are humans. Okay, um, so go for it, guys. Let's go. If you, if you memorize it, stand up and let's do it. Microphone? I think we only have two people. I think only Micah and, well, are there more people? Okay, well, give mics to everyone. <laughs> but actually, I think we only have one mic, so. Oh, we have two? Okay, well, then right here. No, no, no. Give it to her first. Come on, guys. Let's, make, let's, let's get this done. No, no. Well, you cheating, right? You... Make her stand up. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her and proclaim to her that she, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Wow. Who else got it? Give me this microphone for. Do you have it, Troy? Yeah. Let's do it. Comfort, comfort. Um, <laughs> comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. Let her know that her hard service is completed. For that's all I got. Hey, at least he tried, you know? I mean, and he probably had it memorized to just, you know, it's hard to speak it into a mic, you know? There's no doubt about that. Stand up, my man. Mitch. Mitch's got it. Uh, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Oof. All right, so if you haven't figured it out, that's the goal. You're memorizing that uh, each week. I'm sure there's others of you who've memorized it, and that's excellent, um, and we'll try to make our way around. If it's the same people each week, then I might just take those two or three people and give a sermon to them in the back <laughs> and let the rest of you work on, uh, on memorizing uh, that passage. Okay? So next week, I actually can't even remember what it is. I think it's three to four maybe, or three to five. Uh, do you know, Leslie, since you're preaching on it? Three to five? Okay, so three to five for next week. All righty? Good deal. So let me read it, and then uh, we will uh, kind of move into this. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So to catch you up a little bit, for those of you who have been gone, Uh, We're in Isaiah 40, which sort of marks the main division in Isaiah uh, between the first 39 chapters, which is about what? Judgment. 
judgment, right, and rebellion. And then the latter half of the book, which is proclaiming hope and peace and uh, all of this stuff to, to Israel. What's really interesting about this book is that it's very prophetic in terms of prediction, which is pretty rare from our prophets. Uh, Isaiah's talking to the uh, near-to-be-exiled northern kingdom and talking to them as if they've already been exiled. And so we're using this as a springboard to talk about emotions, okay? Because uh, this book is full of them. As you can imagine, you take uh, a people who are in the sort of prime of their life and prime of their nation, and then all of a sudden, within 100 years, they seek, they no longer exist, right? And won't ever come back. I mean, Israel, the northern kingdom, never comes back from this. And only a couple hundred years after that, the southern kingdom goes to Judah. So it's a great, I think, uh, book to be able to talk about emotions. Certainly, our sermon series last semester on Psalms is also a great place for you to kind of think through the topic of highs and lows and emotions and things like that. Okay? So let's talk today about comfort. I alluded to this a little bit last week. And one of the statements that I made last week was that comfort kind of can't be faked. Um, I want to explain a little bit more about that today, but I want to also make another statement, and that's that comfort is kind of hard to come by. For any of you who've experienced something really devastating or difficult, you know that the norm, not the rule, is that the majority of people who try to help you don't actually end up comforting you, okay? Now, it might be because of us, it might be because of them, it could be a societal thing, cultural thing, who knows. The point is, comfort is really, really hard to come by. Whether it's someone who's just kind of shallow in what they say, they say stuff expecting that words are going to fix something without having really any meaning behind them. Maybe they're just ignorant of what to say or how to feel, okay? Which is certainly, you know, um, us in a lot of different environments and different situations. Um... Maybe they're acting out of a lack of comfort themselves. Some of the stuff we tell people, there was this really good article a few uh, years ago uh, that was passed around on Facebook that talked about a lot of the stuff that we tell people when we try to comfort them is more about comforting ourselves than comforting them. We're trying to feel comfortable in the moment. Oh, I've had this experience and I can, you know, say something or you should quickly jump out of this so I don't have to feel so bad about what we're actually talking about right now. So maybe it's comforting ourselves. Maybe at the worst end of this spectrum is actually like gaslighting or like a form of gaslighting. I've just now heard and understood this term. I know I'm pretty old. For those of you who don't know what gaslighting is, it's basically like trying to uh, make someone feel like um, your reality is the real reality and that their reality is they're sort of just insane. It comes from this old play, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes we have this uh, rejection of the way someone's feeling and we want them to feel a way we think they ought to be feeling. And so it's not really all that comfortable. One of the things that we've been doing in this series, and I, I, I kind of, well, let's say, last week I gave sort of a tacit approval to this as source material, but now I want to really, really affirm for you that all of you should get the screw tape letters, okay? They're like super good. And as I've been reading uh, the book uh, the last week and a half, I've realized just how much the material in here lines up with what we've been talking about. I mean, the first couple chapters are about fear and sadness. And so I'm really going to draw heavily on this book as source material in addition to Isaiah to help us think through some of the topics we're going to be discussing. Okay? So Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's really good. It's cheap. Um, 
and uh, it'll be really helpful. We talked a lot about using humor in this series. This humor is going to be a little different because it's satire humor, which is kind of sarcastic humor. It isn't always laugh out loud humor, okay? Uh, but there's a lot of it as I'm going to read today from this book. But I want to start with this uh, quick, quick, quick uh, little quip. And for those of you who don't know what's going on in this book, basically what's happening is Wormwood, all right, is this, uh, you know, sort of training, in-training devil. Wait, is Wormwood the devil? Dang it, man. I, this is my... Okay, good, good, good. Yes, that's right. Yes. Woo! And Screwtape is his uncle. And Screwtape is trying to train him on how to be a good devil, as C.S. Lewis uh, calls them. Devils, meaning people who uh, are sort of in opposition to God and, uh, and what God's doing. Okay? So the whole book is just letters training uh, Wormwood on how to be a good devil. Okay? That's it. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it was his easiest book to write and the book he hated to write the most, as you can imagine. Okay? Uh, but, uh, but it's really, really interesting. So let me read you a section here that I think is, uh, is very helpful to talk about this idea of comfort and gaslighting people, you know, trying to kind of get them to feel something uh, that maybe we're feeling um, and, uh, and not taking into account their feelings. Okay, uh, so talking about humans, as long as he lives on earth, and so Wormwood's been assigned a particular person, okay, that's uh, basically not, at the beginning of the book, he's not a Christian, then he becomes one, and Wormwood has to, like, really, you know, amp up his, his work on trying to uh, do his devil work on this guy. So here is uh, a screw tape talking to Wormwood. As long as he lives, and he, they call him a patient, as long as his patient lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. We talked about that the first week with the whole idea of excitement and sadness. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. He's taking credit for it, basically, in his letters. He's like, look how sad and depressed this guy is. I'm already doing such a good job, okay? Wormwood's like, no, this is just natural stuff. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless you make good use of it. So to decide what the best use of it is, you must ask yourself what the enemy wants to make of it, and obviously the enemy in this case being God, right? Now, it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Relies more on when people are sort of down and out than when they're, you know, high on life and everything's going good. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. This is the purpose of these devils. They want to consume people so much that they just wrap them into themselves and are just a part of who they are. It reminds me of that really silly show called Heroes way back when. Did you guys watch that? And that one guy had that power uh, to like take everyone else's power, right? Yeah, isn't that great? It's even kind of like the, that really failed um, X-Men movie, Apocalypto, or yeah, he kind of had that same thing, right? Yeah. Apocalyptic man? Apocalyptic X-Man man? That one. That one was good, man. It was one of my favorites. Yeah. It's back to the old class. Yeah, good. So anyway, um, so the obedience which the enemy demands of men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men 
his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own. Not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. So this doesn't give you kind of the thesis of what's going on in this book uh, and how different it is to come at someone from the perspective of uh, trying to comfort them at where they're at and not trying to apply something that we desire from them. Uh, I don't know what will, but hopefully this will make sense as we read through this passage. So Isaiah 40 is really tricky for a couple reasons. Number one, how can this be a comforting passage? Why start with this? Okay? He's basically saying, hey, comfort them. Tell them they've received double for all their sins. Yeah! Double what? Double what what? That's a good question, right? How would it be a double reward, though? No, it's a good question. We'll get to that in a second. It was just such an out-of-nowhere question. I was like, what? What's happening? We'll get to it. That's a good question. It sets us up. So, uh, double for all our sins. That's not, those aren't really words of comfort. But I want to focus on a few things here. Okay? So, uh, in talking about this, I'm primarily talking about God comforting us and how we can learn from him comforting us to comfort the people around us. Number one, and, and I want to pull up Isaiah 40, and I want you to kind of look very closely here. It's important that we look closely uh, because we're using such a small scriptural uh, reference here, and so I want you to pay close attention to the word. So, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, Isaiah, uh, communicating from God this message. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Well, the first thing I want to say here is that one of the most important aspects of God's comfort to us is that he speaks the truth, but tenderly. And this is hard. I think we're pretty good at one or the other. We're, we tend to be tender towards other people, maybe because we're frightened or afraid, or we like to speak the truth, but not very tenderly. God is speaking to this people who have sinned against him, who have, a, you know, for, 40, for 39 chapters, have done everything possible they could to curse God, and is somehow speaking to them still truth tenderly. This is kind of an amazing thing. It reminds me a lot of a passage that uh, I'm going to reference in Matthew 23 in verse 37, where Jesus, after railing on the Pharisees, the seven woes, whitewashed tombs, all this other stuff, talks about Israel as, uh, you know, he being a hen wanting to gather the chicks to himself. Within the same passage, we have Jesus speaking tenderly to Israel, even though he sinned, and somehow speaking not so tenderly to the Pharisees around him. But God tells us the truth. And he tells it to us tenderly. Read, uh, someone just pull it up real quick. We, we probably need to give them a mic. I'd like for other people to read scripture, so that would be helpful. So Ezekiel 13, and we're going to read 1 through 10. Ezekiel 13, 1 through 10. And uh, the reference here is, it's, so Matthew 23, 
you're going to kind of write that down as a passage because uh, this is where Jesus both is tender in terms of his, his discussion uh, or in his talking about wanting to gather Israel together, and then uh, in his seven woes, obviously not as tender, even though he's still speaking the truth. So someone read through Ezekiel 13, 1 through 10. Yeah, wherever you're... I got it. Go for it. Hot mic. Ezekiel 13, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false, and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say, The Lord declares, and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, The Lord declares, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the Sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel or enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. You want me to start at 10? Uh, start what, 10? You said 1 through 10. Yeah. Right. Is that... That's it. That's in? Beautiful. Excellent. That's my brother, guys. He can read. (laughs) That's exciting stuff, man. That's exciting stuff. Now, it is cool to have Garrett with us. Garrett doesn't come too often. Uh, For those of you who don't know, that is my brother sitting behind my parents, and he leads our UNT as well as our uh, Colin, and he has a really cute son. Uh, I was about to talk about the daughter, but I wasn't going to say cute because, I mean, she's still too young. Let's be honest. So, Jesus speaks the truth tenderly, all right? He speaks tenderly. So, what happened then to this, this passage in Matthew 23 where one of the most famous uh, woes or insults that he gives the people is what? Do you remember? What's the one that we kind of remember in this passage? Don't look. Whitewashed tombs. This is simply a reference to Ezekiel 10 where he's saying you've whitewashed all these walls and these walls are going to crumble. Just putting whitewash on them isn't going to make them any more, uh, you know, uh, difficult for me to crumble. Jesus pretty much, much gets at his harshest when people pretend they're speaking from God but aren't actually doing it. Speaking words of peace and everything's fine and good, but aren't actually speaking. God can handle the sinfulness of Israel and even the sinfulness of the Pharisees, but when it comes to people speaking in his name, speaking false truths, that's when God gets harsh. And that's when Jesus got harsh. So one of the most important things about speaking comfort into the lives of people is being able to speak truth and speak it tenderly. And I can speak truth, and I'm pretty decent at it, But when it comes to speaking it tenderly, not even remotely good at that, okay? So I've got a lot, yeah, yeah, 
apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, apples don't fall far from the tree. All right. Um, so why is this? Well, it's because, remember, something we talked about last semester, which was such an important point, we were talking about it in the context of economics and in money. God doesn't, isn't just a fair God. He's a good God. And what does that mean? It means he doesn't give to us as we deserve. He gives to us as we need. And that is what the parable of the vineyard workers is all about. And there's not a more important principle here when it comes to comforting people is we ought to give to people what they need and not what they deserve. And Jesus here is, or or, uh, God here in Isaiah is giving to the people what they need, not what they deserve. Speak tenderly to these people. You've been given double for your sins. Second point I want to make here about God's comfort, and I just want to do two. And the first one is simply tells us the truth, but tells it to us tenderly. And the second one, and I think uh, one that's probably um, a little bit more practical and maybe applicable to us, uh, at least it's easily, uh, more easily understood. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He shows his stake in it. He's still their God. And throughout the harsh messages and difficult messages of Isaiah, you constantly get God reminding them that he is still their God. He's got a stake in it. Okay? This is probably one of the hardest things for us as independent and, you know, sort of walled-off Americans is to actually communicate to people that we have a stake in their suffering. And to even get to, excuse me, get to the point where we do have a stake in it, where we do have something uh, that you know makes us feel in a way as closely as we can get to how they're feeling. The scripture is chock full of this idea of you know rejoicing with people when they rejoice, suffering and mourning with people when they mourn, and yet it's so hard for us to do that. And yet it's one of the key principles to what God does when He comforts someone is He shows His stake in it. Jesus, I am a hen trying to gather my chicks. Think about the wolf and, you know, the, uh, the shepherd. I have a stake in this. Throughout the scripture, I have a stake in this. This is important. You think about what Paul says about um, Israel in Romans, which is one of the most more disturbing passages because it Theoretically and rationally, it's very difficult to understand what he means. But he basically says, if I could only lose my own salvation for the sake of all Israel, it'd be worth it to me. And you think, he's got a stake in this. He cares so much about his people, even though his people are this large group of people who are at the current moment imprisoning him, that he would give up his own salvation And even if that was a moment of not thinking, but emotional, you know, torment and torture, he said it and it was recorded so that they would have salvation. My people, do we bear other people's burdens and our comfort for them? This is one of the most important aspects of comforting people is learning how to bear their burdens. Truly bear burdens. And I want to give you some practical tips about this in a moment, but you've got to understand this first. Most of us try to deal with people as a counselor deals with another human when it comes to comforting them. Completely separate 
completely apart, completely in a rational mindset, because we all know rational mindset's the best way to help someone who's emotionally going through difficult things. Yeah, right. But without really having a stake uh, or bearing other people's burden. So that's what God's comfort is like. He's got a stake in it, and he speaks the truth tenderly. Well, I want to kind of make a, a side point here, okay? Um, and it's kind of my last point, but it, this is all great and good in terms of God's comfort, but, but why the heck double for all her sins? That doesn't seem fair, does it? We already know God's a fair God, uh, but he's not just fair, he's good, so why do they have to pay double for all their sins? That doesn't seem right. I mean, yeah, sure, it's better than triple, I guess, but uh, it's also worse than single. So what is actually happening here? Well, let me just uh, say it like this, and I think there's actually a lesson here when it comes to comfort as well. Um, hard service has a purpose. It's interesting here in Isaiah 40 that uh, he phrases this punishment as service. Now remember, uh, and I say remember, let me just remind you because it's going to be hard to remember, Isaiah is really popular for one really major thing in the Old Testament, and that is pointing the way to Christ. Particularly pointing the way to the fact that Jesus himself was a suffering servant on our behalf. If there's one thing that the Israelites missed in uh, recognizing Jesus, it was that he was going to be a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah. And Israel sort of points us to that. In fact, 40 uh, to the end of Isaiah, talks about Israel's role as a servant to the nations. Remember Isaiah 49 last week? It's too small of a task for you to just be a servant to Israel. I'm going to make you a servant to all the nations. Reminds you of the promise that God gave to Abraham. So this idea of service being somehow in their pain and in their distress and receiving what they received for their sins was service. It was hard service. So the best I can make out of that, and you can disagree if you want to, is that uh, the, the reason they had double for their sins is because it had some sort of purpose, something that God was doing in that time frame. Okay? I want to read to you another section from, um, it's actually the, the latter part of the same chapter that I read to you earlier. Uh, yep. So it's same uh, chapter, same thing. Uh, we're just going to skip a few um, uh, pages here in this, uh, this letter from Screwtape. Talking about God, he says, he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later, he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience. All those supports and incentives to do good. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. Which in essence he's saying God intentionally moves away from us holding our hands so that we can stand on our own and begin to do the things out of uh, not just it feels good and is good uh, or it feels good but it actually is good. Okay? It's during such trough periods much more than during the peak periods that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patients along by continual tempting because we design them only for the table. And the more their will is interfered with, the better. But he cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. 
He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand if only the will to walk is really there. He is pleased even when they stumble. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why has he been forsaken and still obeys? He talks earlier about how God doesn't force us to do anything. He won't. That that's the opposite of how they work. They want to force you to do everything, but God simply won't. This hard service has a purpose. So I want to say just something here that I think is important, and that is that often in comforting people, it's important to try to get to the heart of the purpose of suffering. Now I want to make a really, really, really strong statement here. Notice how he's saying this after the fact. One of the worst things I think we can say to people in a moment of suffering or of difficulty is everything has a purpose. That's such a silly idea, number one, because everything doesn't have a purpose. God's got a purpose. Everything sounds as if the whole world is organized around good and everything is good in it and that every bad thing that happens somehow has some good purpose and was meant to. Well, then why uh, have any problem with evil or bad in the first place if it really all has a purpose? God has got a purpose. Everything doesn't have a purpose. And maybe we're making a slight sort of statement change here, but I think it's very important for us. But not only that, but in the moment, it's not that helpful to say How many of you have ever been comforted by, you know, everything has a purpose? Oh, great, I feel so much better now that, you know, a close friend of mine just died. What's the purpose exactly? Then we make up the craziest nonsense. God needed him. Like God needed him in heaven for what? Like that, what does that even mean? That's such a almost blasphemous idea. So we've got to be really careful about using that kind of language But after the fact, it does often help put things in perspective when we can look back and see how that hard service, God made a product out of it. Because that's about him. And I almost like the word product better than I like purpose because it produced something in us. Did God intend for it to happen? No, I don't know. And I don't think so in a lot of these cases. But can he make good out of it? Absolutely. That's what he's saying here. And as Christians, that's the promise we have, is that God makes good even when we pay double for our sins, okay? Because he has that ability. But that's not to say that we go back and want to repeat those same things over again, as if God had no other way of doing that. Uh, We've got to be careful with that one. So, in conclusion here, we don't speak the truth harshly or lie tenderly. (laughs) We give to people as they need, okay? We're not dispassionate and dismissive or even sometimes direct in how we comfort people. Sometimes directness can be itself an issue when we're constantly trying to get to the core of an issue when someone else is just responding emotionally to it. The thing that we ought to communicate is, I'm really here and I have a stake in this. As God communicates to Israel, I'm here. I have a stake in this. I care. Some of us have prayed the prayer of God, if you could transfer some of this pain to me, do it. And I wonder if that's not a pretty good prayer to, to pray sometimes. I mean, I think it's a weird prayer, but it's one of those emotional prayers that when we really care about someone, uh, means something. And everything doesn't have a purpose, God does. 
Guys, if this is how he comforts people after their sin, imagine the, the kind of comfort God gives us when natural things happen. Death, accidents, things that are out of our control and had nothing to do with us doing anything wrong. If this is God's comfort for our sin, imagine the comfort that we have in Christ when we have all of these difficult things that we go through that had nothing to do with us in the first place. As Christians, we have an immense power to comfort people as God would comfort, to truly give comfort in an environment where comfort is really, really hard to come by, okay? Um, so as we normally do at the end here, we'll take a few questions, and then we'll break for communion, and uh, uh, then we'll come back, and David will lead us uh, in some worship songs, and uh, we'll just celebrate the fact that God really does comfort us. As wonderful and amazing as comfort is, and as hard as it is to come by, we really do have comfort in Christ and with each other. A couple questions, if you guys have any. Yeah, Catherine. Um, I kind of have two. So okay. one. I'll just choose the better one. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of them being. Um, talking about having a stake in other people's burdens. So I'm a fairly empathetic person and have been warned from, or given advice to like, to be wary of how much stake or maybe how I'm going about it. So what's your advice? How you're going about empath empathy? Potentially. So like what's, not like too far, because we're called to have a stake and carry other people's burdens, but also that's God's responsibility. And right. sometimes I say like, oh, well, I'm just going to emotionally dig into your problem rather than being there to comfort you. I'd rather just be sad alongside you. Like, does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, these are always such good questions because there are, a lot of them have to do with balance. And balance is really tough. And I think that's why the principle of giving to people as they need uh, versus, uh, you know, as they deserve is really helpful. Or even giving to people as they deserve, as they need, not as we are capable, necessarily. Trying to kind of move past just our capabilities. Um, so let me answer your question after I answer my question. When people tell me really difficult things, I almost pride myself in being able to like not change my face or not feel or things like that. Like, and I've thought about that over the years. Like I'm just not an incredibly emotional or excitable person. And um, so it takes a lot for me to try to communicate. Sometimes the best comment I have when I'm actually thinking about it and doing what I'm preaching I should do is, man, I'm trying to like, um, you know, think about this from the perspective that you're thinking about it and I'm just struggling to do it. And that's a truth. That's an honest thing that I can say to someone. But I think sometimes, so like, for instance, speaking the truth, okay? Um, some people have some just really, really offensive ideas about God when they're suffering. And, you know, Job experienced that and got what he deserved after God spoke to him about it, right? And Job is, of course, an excellent, um, you know, case study of what we're talking about. His friends not only didn't speak much truth, but they definitely didn't speak it very tenderly. <laughs> uh, so I think sometimes people just need to hear truths about God that they've, you know, people, we tend to rail on God as, pretty, as, as soon as we get hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, Job had a, a reason, at least, most of us would agree to. Some people, you know, they have the tiniest thing happen to them and God's bad all of a sudden. Um, so they need to hear the truth, I think, tenderly. Um, and then other people, you know, it's, it's, they kind of understand the truth, but they just need someone to be really nice to them. They have people who have been saying all kinds of this way, that way, and just speaking a voice that's... Um, you know, truth when it's tender is so much less offensive than truth when it's harsh, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's really what uh, um, God had every right to speak, you know, really harshly to them. Um, but like I said, he has this ability with us to really speak tenderly. And tenderly is about uh, giving to someone probably a lot of times who's already heard the harsh words. Or maybe their self-talk is really harsh already. 
And, uh, you know, they don't need that. Um, they need it tenderly. It doesn't really answer your question because it's kind of hard to answer because um, it's about balance and individuals are different and they require a lot. If anyone else has any answer, you can answer her question. But, okay. You got one, Garrett? Someone give the mic to Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> this is just about Chelsea, actually. Um, I don't like her. Thank you. That is all. I'm just joking. Um, I was just going to say... One of the things that I've found helpful that Ronnie has talked to me about before, so not taking any credit for it, is the difference between empathy and responsibility. Um, I think whenever we can, we can empathize with someone, we put ourselves where they are and we feel hurt like they feel it, and that's meaningful to them that we would step into that with them willingly, like scripture says, to mourn with those who mourn. Um, and together we take that to God and say, this is God's deal, not something I can fix. I think, Catherine, the answer at least a part of the answer to your question is there's a difference between me empathizing with someone versus me feeling like I need to fix their thing or, you know, take on their burden in a yeah. way that says, well, I've got to help this person get better. Um, and that's not, even though it seems like the natural, you know, logic, I feel bad, so I need to help them. It's more of, I feel bad with you. Let's together go and take this to God. And that's been helpful to me for Ronnie, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so. Any other questions before we move on? Take me new. No? Oh, a second question, Catherine. No? Okay. She's like, you'd answer the first, so why would I ask you a second? <laughs> you could ask it directly to Garrett. I mean, you know, yeah, ask Garrett after. He's the better brother. He's older, the better one. Yeah, we all love him. Great. He's got kids. Cool. <laughs> Any others? All right. I'll say a prayer, and then uh, we'll break for communion. If you haven't had communion with us, uh, there'll be some guys in the back uh, or people in the back, uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll dip the bread into the juice, and then uh, we'll, we, we celebrate Christ around here. We celebrate uh, the joy that we get uh, from knowing that our God really does comfort us and knowing that he has a purpose in, uh, in the distancing and helping us walk on our own and helping us you know, rely on the community um, that uh, although he's distant, he's never... Uh, um, blind to, uh, to what we're doing or uh, ignorant of, uh, of where we're at. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for being the ultimate comforter, for sending the Spirit to comfort us, to uh, know us, to speak truth to us tenderly. I just ask that we would expect more of the Spirit within us to really be our comforter. You named him that. You gave him to us as a comforter, that we would understand that as people and as a church. Um, that we bring us back to an understanding of, of you and who you are and how you treat people. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.